baby's cry is sound of love Oh, come, oh, come Suffering, he is Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. As always, it's good to be in the house of the living God this morning. Hallelujah. You guys have your Bibles. Go to the book of Psalms this morning. Psalms 101, 101. And uh, I'm not going to read the full Psalms, but being led to the verses 3 and 4 this week, so that's where we, we will be. Psalms 101, verse 3 and 4. Very convicting message today. I'm sure it's going to cut each and every one of you deeply, including myself. Very powerful word. I think that God is going to really speak to us this morning, but we have to listen to, to each word he's teaching us because, as you know, God's word is... It's so deep that you have to catch the pieces and try to put it all together and, and under, to understand what he's saying to us. But go with me to 101, verse 3 and 4. And once you find your place, as always, we ask you to stand for the reading of God's holy scriptures. This is a psalm of David, the man after God's own heart. So I would say listen carefully to what he has to say. You got your place, say Amen. David said, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate, they will not cling to me, and men of perverse hearts shall be far from me, and I will have nothing to do with evil. Let us pray. Father, in the mighty name of Christ, the Son of the living God, we come before you, Lord. We enter into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise, and we thank you this morning for a time of worship. Lord, we are an imperfect people, but we serve a perfect God. Lord, everything about you we love and we admire. We honor you today, Lord, by staying in the boundaries of your word. We ask this morning that you would speak clearly each and every one of us, Lord. Help your servant to proclaim the message that you've laid upon his heart, hiding behind the cross that no flesh may boast before you. 
Father, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus just to move by the power of the living God. Lord, we do not want to leave the way we came. Lord, some of us have came today with trials and tribulations just pressing heavy upon our heart. Lord, I see a spirit of darkness trying to overcome your people. And I ask in the name of Jesus that to send the light, Lord, send the light of Christ upon us, Lord. Deliver us out of the hand of the enemy. Lord, we praise you. And Satan, we rebuke you in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, and God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, first of all, let me say that, that since we are we're all living in a very a dark time, dark days that are described perfectly by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah speaks of our time. This is a, a crooked and a perverse generation that we're living in. And I would say that we need to listen carefully because we, since we are saturated with such type of influences around us, we need to hear what God would say to us. I want to read the words of Isaiah 5 and 20 because this is, this is the way I see our generation, the way he describes it here. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who Put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, a little illustration I would think would be help you understand what he's saying here. Could you imagine trying to, to raise up a child and just jokingly say, you know what, let's, let's try to confuse this child. Let's fill up the sugar bowls with salt and the salt shakers with sugar. And, and that child would be so confused because when it finally got old enough to go to a restaurant and everything is backwards, then they would be like, well, what's going on? Well, basically, that is how our generation is, is training up our children, training them up to be confused, not able to discern right from wrong, evil and good, because we're living in a generation when everybody's calling evil good and good evil. And so we have to take the word of God and listen to what he says in Proverbs 26, 22 and 6. He says to, to train up a child in the way that it should go, and when it is old, it shall not depart from it. When I, when I think about raising up a child, and, and it's interesting that Emily would be here today, and, and I never know, you know. But, but we have to look at the story of Hannah. Hannah was a young woman who could not have children. And she cries out to God with all her heart, saying, Lord, if you'll just give me one child, I'll give that child back to you. And God gave her the desires of her heart, and she has a son named Samuel. And I want to read 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28. I pray for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he will worship the Lord there. Just recently, me and my wife watched a program where they brought an infant up front, and they had something called christening, I think it's called, christening. I don't even know the word because it's not biblical. And, and the preacher stands up and says, now this child is part of the family of God. That's not biblical. But what is biblical to bring the child up front and to dedicate that child unto the Lord and, and put a covenant upon the parents saying, you know, this is your responsibility to train up this child and to raise it up. Not to teach it wrong from right. I mean, teach it right from wrong, but not to confuse it by saying, even though this looks right, this is wrong. You see, you see, when a man and a man come together, that's not biblical. The child should know right from wrong. 
And so as a man of God, I have to know, because I'm training up children, if you would, young sheep, training them up to know the Word of God. So I am called as a man of God to distinguish between the holy and the common, according to Leviticus 10 and 10. He says, you must distinguish between the holy and the common. So if I cannot discern the truth and the lie, how can I help you guys? And so I'm held to a higher level. In fact, the Bible says that those who teach the Word of God will be judged more strictly. That's not good news for me. But, but I take it serious when I'm up here. I'm not perfect and I will make mistakes. But, but I'm always in the process of trying to train up God's children according to the Word of God. And so the sad thing is, is that since we are surrounded by such evil, what I see in our generation is not only are we surrounded by it, but our leaders are crooked and perverse. It's not our choice, at least it wasn't my choice, but they're there. And since they're there, we are called to submit to the authority. We may not like them, but we're called to pray for them. But what I see is ungodly people who's choosing darkness over light, who's choosing death over life. Come on, amen. And that, my friend, is against the word of God, against his will. And, 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 but you could ask them point blank, if they were a Christian, they would tell you that I am a Christian. But Jesus tells us something different. Matthew seven fifteen through 17. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And by their fruits you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs, thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. But back to the prophet Isaiah, Jesus said in Matthew 15 and 7 and 8, he said, Isaiah was right. When he prophesied about you hypocrites, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now let's look at something that Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. And I want you to see how closely it lines up with what David has taught us today in our text. Ephesians 5.11. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. If I stand up here and I speak harshly against our leaders, I'm just exposing the truth. Come on, amen. Because when I see their fruit and they choose to kill a child instead of giving a child a chance, then they're choosing darkness over light. Can I get an Amen. But he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So we have to ask ourselves, what exactly are the fruitless deeds of darkness? Well, the best way we can start is first go to a Galatians 5.22 and 23, and you will see something called the fruit of the Spirit. And so when you look into the fruit of the Spirit, all you have to do is basically flip it over and look on the opposite side. Because you see, if you see the fruit of spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, and against this thing, there is no law. So just the opposite would, would be the, the fruitless deeds of darkness. But Paul doesn't leave us hanging, but prior to the fruit of the spirit, if you rewind just a little bit to Galatians 5, 19, 19 and 21, he tells us exactly what these fruitless deeds look, look like so we can identify them so we will not be confused about who, what they are. But I want you to pay careful attention to what he says at the end of this text. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. He goes, the acts of sinful nature are obvious. He starts out with something called sexual immorality, Right? You say, well, what is that exactly? Well, that's, that, that's nothing but fornicating. That's homosexuality. That is the lust 
of ungodliness. Come on, amen. That, that is sexual immorality. That, that's bringing strange men and women into your bedroom when you're married to one. Can I get an amen? That's, that's ungodly. That's against God's will. He says impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, and hatred, discord, and jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and like I warned you as I did before. Listen, that those who live, everybody say live like this. Those who live like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just break it down for you. If this is the lifestyle, if this is what they practice on a daily basis, this is not me saying that you'll split hell while open. This is Paul saying that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I know that's a lot of stuff that we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, but we need to understand that he's saying if you practice these, you can kiss it goodbye. Because he said, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses, Blesses and curses, now choose life so that you and your children may live. But David said, but men of perverse hearts shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. I like that so much this morning. I want to use that as our title today. Today's message is entitled, I will have nothing to do with evil. I want you to turn to your neighbor if you would and say, neighbor, please be careful not to yoke yourself up with evil people because evil people will lead you astray. Can I get an amen? Now, let's, let's bring it to where the rubber meets the road because I'm not one of these preachers that just softly hits you. I bring it. Come on, amen. Paul says, Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man shall reap what he sows. The man who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And those who sow to please the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. That's some preaching right now. Come on, amen. Now, that's common sense. Because if you had a field and you planted apple seeds, I can promise you apple tree will grow. And on that apple tree, you will find some fruit that is sweet and, and, and perfect for eating. Come on, amen. But, but if you had in your hand the, the seeds of a, let's just say, a persimmon tree, and you plant it, I can promise you, you'll get some fruit that will not only push you away from it, but it will draw your mouth up. It's not very pleasant at all to eat. And that's what Paul is showing us here. That we cannot sow bad seeds and expect to get a good crop. Come on, amen. But David says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. What David is doing, he, he's basically making a promise to himself. Sometimes you have to convince yourself. Come on, you got to get this in your mind. In other words, what David is doing, he's making a covenant with his eyes. Now, something that you probably didn't know, and I wasn't sure about it until I began to look into it, but looking into the life of Job, which was a righteous, upright man who pleased God. Come on, amen. But Job has some struggles because we can see by his covenant he made in Job 31 and 1, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Now, you wouldn't make a covenant with your eyes if that wasn't a problem. Come on, amen. In other words, even, even though Job was an outstanding upright man, he still had the struggle that if a beautiful young woman would walk in, he'd have to check himself before he wrecked himself. Come on, amen. 
And so what he did was he, he made a promise that, that when I saw this beautiful individual, I would simply just look away. And that's the same thing we have to do when, when, when sin comes into our life. We can just take the remote and turn the channel. Me and Kristen, we have a limit. We watch shows, but we have a limit. And once they cross that boundary, at least three times, we're out. We'll give them some grace, but they keep on doing whatever, especially using the Lord's name in vain. We're out. We're through with that show. There's got to be something else on Netflix that doesn't use the Lord's name. We go find something else. So once again, we're back at Friday. What is it? Yeah, Friday Night Lights. And I'm not sure if they're not even using it there, but I I can't hear anything, so I'm just reading everything. (laughs) Amen. Now, let's look into this word vile. David said, I will set no vile thing before my eyes. I want to look deep into this Hebrew because I want to show you something very interesting through this word. Because if we don't understand the word itself, we will not be able to grasp exactly what we're being taught here. But looking into the original Hebrew language of the word, what word is it? Thank you. Vile, we find the word bel Ayal. Bel Ayal. And that simply means anything that is evil, anything that is wicked, anything that is ungodly, anything that is naughty, anything, any type of wickedness, listen, from Belial. Any type of wickedness, any type of evil, any type of nastiness from, everybody say, from Belial. Now, that's a strange word, and you're saying, wait, wait a minute. I've heard the word Belial before. I I know it's somewhere in the Scriptures. Well, that's my job to help you, to remind you where it is. And so we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15. I want you to hear what Paul says. Paul says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what does righteousness have with wickedness? What fellowship can light have a dark darkness? And what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? There it is again. But that still don't help us to understand what this is. What the heck is a Belial? Well, let's look at it. Go with me to the Old Testament now. We're going to look at the sons of Eli. He was a priest in the Old Testament. And he had two sons that were referred to as the sons of Belial. Let's look at that. 1 Samuel 2 and 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. So this gives us two keys to understand what Belial is. First of all, a child of Belial must be in the human race. They must be human, but they also will be someone who does not know the Lord at all. Jesus describes these type of people in Matthew 7, 21 and 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does what? The will of my Father in heaven. Everybody says, you must do the will of the Father. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out many devils and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Children of Belial are those individuals who confess to be Christians, but their life, their fruits, and everything about them is wicked and evil of darkness. They appear to be Christians, but inside they are child of Belial, child of darkness. Let's look at Eli's sons. Hophni and Phinehas were their name, and they were so wicked, the Bible tells us that these two men were having relations with the women of the church in the church. Come on, amen. 
And, and so God had enough of that, so he allows the Philistines to come in and revenge is the Lord, and he shall repay. And they fell at the hand of the Philistines, and they died. Come on, amen. In other words, God took them out. But I want to show you something that I know that you have never seen. And when you look into the King James Version, you will see once again that this is referring to the sons of Belial. But what we will see is how the angels of God will take these individuals and how they will handle them after they have died. This is scary. This is real scary right here. 2 Samuel 23, 6 and 7. It says, but the evil men, some translations, but others say, but the sons of Belial. If you got the King James Version, your, your text will say, but the sons of Belial. It says, but the sons of Belial are all to be cast aside like thorns which are not gathered by the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or a shaft, a spear, and they are burned up where they lie. In other words, when these children of Belial, children of evil, when they are cast into the lake of fire, the angels of God do not even use their very own hands, but they take a shaft of spear and steel. In other words, they use weapons and they, they handle these spirits and they throw them into the lake of fire. And you say, well, why don't they touch them by their hands? Because the Bible says, touch no unclean thing. And so if you don't think that's fearful that these most powerful beings in the universe would take hold of these people and use tools of iron, whew, that's harsh. And I think of it like the fireplace. We've got these metal tools, you know, and you've got the log, you know, and that, that's basically how they handle them, you know, put them in the fire. I hope y'all saw what I'm saying here. But I want to take you a little deeper. Can I go even deeper? Because when you look into this word Belial, you find another Hebrew word. The other word is called Belier. Now we know who be the liar. <laughs> Come on, amen. And what that means is children of deception, children of falsehood, children of the Devil. Now we're going to take you on deeper. Jesus talks about the children of the devil. John 8 and 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the fathers of lies. And in other words, these children are, are the children of Belial are the seeds of Satan. That, that's that's, that's mind-boggling. But I want to take you back to a prophecy given to us by God himself all the way back to where Adam and Eve crossed the line. And once they crossed the line, God cursed. He cursed the land and part of the children. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, this is the King James Version, because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all the cattle, above the, of every beast of the field. Upon, the, upon thy belly will shall... Be, King James is hard to read. Upon thy belly shall thou go, and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life. Listen, verse 15. And I will put enmity, that means hatred. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise thy heel. God said, I'm going to put hatred between my children and his children. He said, who are the children of the devil? Those who reject Jesus Christ. If you reject Christ, you will be known as a child of Belial. And you will not have to face God on judgment 
because he's going to have his angels take you and cast you into the lake of fire when he says, I never knew you. Away from me, you workers of iniquity. And they are separated. You know why? Because they chose death over life. They chose wrong over right. They called evil good and good evil. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And these people who can stand up in our government and call right wrong, I got news for you, hell will be paid. And they're, feel, they're feeling okay right now, but I can promise you, if they don't get saved and set free, they will have to pay for eternity. I, I wonder right now how well David would have done in our generation. Because he's not living in the same world we're living in. Come on, amen. David had it easy compared to us. Yeah, he saw a beautiful naked woman up on, on the roof. You know, that was easy. No, no, no. You and I, we are surrounded by evil. And we're called not to look upon it. You know, all you got to do is go on TV at night or programs and movies or iPads or Facebook or website or iPhones and magazine and billboards or even our airways are filthy. And everywhere we go, we can turn on the, the eagle in the afternoon and there'll be filthy, coarse joking. And no matter where we go, we're being tempted and pulled and, 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 and the devil is just trying so hard to pull us down. Are you with me? We live in such a world that right now that the evil spirit are even coming upon, come upon the children of God and just pressing them, pressing them. And they, they, they just, they, they find themselves out of control, crying and weeping because of the oppression of the enemy. Good people. Because of the generations that we are living in. And so let me just answer that question. How well would have David done in our generation? He would have done awesome. And let me tell you why. Because David had his eyes and his heart upon the Lord. He knew who his help comes from. So he would have done just fine because he was willing to change the way he thinks. Yes, he made mistakes. You made mistakes. But our, our victory is changing the way we think. Paul says in Romans 12 and 2. Listen. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. I've used this before, but years ago I heard about in Japan they have square watermelons. Because they have no space in their homes. Everything's, there's so many people and everybody's living on top of each other. So they came up with square watermelons. And what they do, they take the little watermelon when it's small and they put it in a metal container and that watermelon grows to fit what it's conformed to. And in the same way, the devil is trying to take our children and put them in the wrong press where they grow up to look just like the world. But God's saying, these are my children. These are not belonging to the child, the Belials. These are not the wicked generation. I'm trying to get you to train up your children in the way they should go. And when they get old, they will not depart from it. Now, you guys have responsibility. And God lays a child right into your lap. And now all the things that your parents told you are, are just like these memories that just keep washing over your mind. Mom said, don't do this. Dad said, don't do this over and over again. And now for the first time in your life, you're saying, I understand. Because now you see this precious child and you're saying, I don't want the world to take this child and make it wicked and evil where it chooses dark over light. It all makes sense now, Dad. Of course it does. Just got to keep pressing them, training them, get them in the house of God. So 
You have to choose what servant you're going to choose. You can't serve two masters. You may not know this, but the Bible says you can't choose two masters. You got to choose one. You got to choose good or you choose evil. Luke 16 and 13, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's just an example. Can't serve two. There's nothing wrong with having money. Just don't let money have you. That's it. But here's a key that I found about David years ago, and I have always stuck with it. Psalms 119 and 11. This has helped me more times than I can even count. David says, 119.11, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Austin, that's the key, bro. Putting that seed in that heart. And so when that temptation comes, you have something to pull out of your holster. The word of God said, no, it is written. Thou shalt not put the Lord God to the test. That, that, see, God has given us something called feelings. The, the enemy wants to take your feelings and use those feelings to, to pervert what God has given you. So he takes the feelings and he uses them as a temptation device. That, that's why people can get hung on, on alcohol, hung on drugs, hung, because it's the feeling. Because that's why they say, if you ever do this, it'll have you. No. If you ever do this, it will have you. (laughs) This right here, the Word of God, is, is addicting to me. The more I understand it, the more I learn, the more I want it. And I find myself digging and digging and digging. And no matter how long and how many times I read this thing, I still find more and more and more. You know why? Because it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and to the discerning of the heart of a man. Come on. It gets down off in me. How much time do I have left? I want to show you some men and some angels can I do this? That we're tempted, just like we are. But they chose life. They chose to do what's right. And, and one of these women, y'all know her, it was the wife of a man named Lot. We know what happened. God delivered Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. She couldn't let the world go, and what happened to her? She turned to what? A pillar of what? A pillar of salt. Look at that. Genesis 19 and 26, but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, can I see that first picture? Did y'all get that I sent you? Picture number one. Skip's like, there it is. A pillar of salt. Now, this don't make sense to me because ever since I've started reading this, I'm thinking, she turned to a pillar of salt? I said, something is wrong with the translation here because how, how's a body like this going to look like that? So I dove off into the original language, and once again I find the word called netzeb. Netzeb simply means she turned into a statue of salt. Now let's look at the other one. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In other words, what what had happened is that all the life that she had was completely burned out of her and there was nothing left but a form of life, a pillar of salt. No, a statue of salt. And I'm sure as soon as that happened, it just took just one breeze and she was blown away forever. And I'm sure for just a second, Lot saw her like that. Come on, amen. Amen. I don't think he looked back. She might have been ahead of him. I don't know. But I'm just feeling that he had a a glimpse of that. And when he saw that, he was like, I'm I'm not looking back. No, sir. But, But I want to look at the angels because the angels, too, had the choice to choose right from wrong. And those angels who chose right from the beginning, they are now still serving with God for eternity. They will always serve with God. But there were some angels who did not choose to do right, and they chose to be children of Belial, in other words. They chose to be children of the devil, and now they will have their punishment for eternity. Let's look at this. 
2 Peter 2, 4 through 9. I'm going to try to quote this. Y'all judge me. Get them up there. This is going to be hard. Y'all gray me harshly. 2 Peter 2, 4 through 9. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. If he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy life of lawless man, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteousness is so by the lawless deeds he saw and heard and if this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and the holy unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment hallelujah but listen to this that righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men let me just say this Are we distressed by the filthy, lawless lives around us? In other words, does it even bother us? Have we got so numb to it now, we're just so used to it, it doesn't even phase us? Come on, amen. I'm going to be honest with you. When I was just a boy, and, and, and if I even saw a glimpse of a bra on a commercial or something, I'd be like, oh, come on. Now I'm like, you know why? Because I have become numb to wrong. And see, that's the way the devil does. He saturates the airways with wrong. So wrong becomes the norm. So when you see a woman kiss a woman on TV, you're like, that's when you should be going. Do you see what he's doing here? David said, I will not set my eyes Upon anything vile. I will have nothing to do with evil. Nothing. I, I, I will not let it be yoked up to me. See, the Bible tells us in Mark, 6, Mark 10, 6 to 9, but at the beginning God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and the mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God has given us the plan for man and woman to be together. Not man and man, not woman and woman. That is a perversion of what God created. We got to keep it holy in the church. If you want your marriage to work out, you have to bring God into the equation. Because since we are living in such a generation, your marriage will not work without God. It will not. You put God in the equation, then you got some strength. Paul, I mean, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4 and 8, he said, though one may be overpowered, two may defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You, your husband, and God. In other words, you wives, you have two men on each side of you. Come on in. One you can't see, but the other one you can Come on, man. That's power right there. But we have to choose what we're going to cling to. I will not cling to evil. James 4 and 4. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means hatred, enmity against God, and therefore anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. God is saying right there, you got to choose what team you're going to be on. I choose God. I choose to be a Christian. I choose to be on the right side. And what does that mean? That means I will be persecuted and hated because of Jesus Christ. If you raise that child up right, and I know you will because I'm going to live a long time. But I'm going to do all that I can do to make sure this child knows the Lord and His ways. 
And that means I'm always going to be there to protect that child as long as I have breath in my lungs. Let's close with this. David says, Psalms 31 and 6, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. And as for me, I trust in the Lord. Psalm 63 and 8, I cling to you. He's talking about clinging to God. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. When you look into the original language of the word cling, you know what it means? It means to glue yourself to it. If you took a dime and you glued that dime to your head, it will become part of you. And when you pull it off, it's going to pull skin off. But that's what this word clean means. It means becoming one. When me and my wife, we took our vows way back yonder, we became one. So what happens? You hurt me, you hurt my wife. You hurt my wife, you're going to be hurt. Come on, amen. Amen? When I went through all my surgeries, I didn't go through it by myself. Every time I was suffering, she was suffering. But when I got stronger, she became stronger because you become one. God is saying, listen, I want you to cling to me and become one with me and my word where this becomes you. You look in the word of God, you see a reflection of you. Romans 12 and 9, Paul, this is where I close. He said, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Man, we've got to get glued. Because it's not going to get better around us. Austin, no, no, no. It's not going to get easier, son. It's not. It's just going to get harder. So God says here, I set before you life and death. I set before you blessings and curses. Now, he says, here's the answer to the quiz. Now, choose life. I'm going to pass this test because all I got to do is choose life. Emily, little Evie, he's going to set before life and death. Blessing, curse. Now, she can't choose nothing right now. So guess what? You have to choose for her. Alejandro, choose life, son. That's my grandbaby. They call me Iron Man. Don't make me transform on you. No, I know you're a good guy, man. I appreciate everything you do for my, my granddaughter. I love you, man. I love you, bro. So let's all stand. I know that's a hard word to hear. But David wrote it for a reason. Do y'all know what the reason was? Because he knew that he would not last forever. So he spent many hours in the fields watching the flock and he had... He was like a, a poet, a poem. He wrote poems and, and songs, and he wrote it down so that people would remember it for generation and generations and generations because he knew he would eventually have to go. But his word has never stopped. And he's telling us even today, he's like, you know what? I wrote this down for you guys because I know you're going to go through more stuff that I could ever imagine being tempted with. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Right now, I ask you to make a choice. I ask you right now to make a covenant with yourself. You need to tell yourself, you know what? I will have nothing to do with evil. I choose life. I choose God. I choose God's word. I choose his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. I choose to walk according to the scriptures. I choose him. And because I choose him, I will never be referred to as a child of Belial because I have nothing to do with that old man because that's who I was. If you need prayer this morning, you may want to rededicate your life to the Lord. You just may, I see a storm that's been rising above somebody. 
an overwhelming storm. But I got an answer for you. I'm speaking to somebody in this room this morning. Jesus says, listen, the answer to your storm is already in your boat. The answer to your storm is in your boat. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lay my hands on my friend. And right now, in the name of Christ, by the power of the living God, I rebuke this storm. Blow away in the name of Jesus. We're clinging to the living God and his word, Satan. You have no authority. You have no power. But the anointing of the Holy Spirit is falling fresh upon this vessel of clay. Fall fresh upon her mind, her soul, and spirit. And I see the peace that passes all understanding even now beginning to reign upon her soul. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray victory and power and grace over your people. Walk with us. Keep us strong in the faith, in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless your people to the right, to the left, to the east, to the west, to the north, and to the south. And we praise you, and God's people said amen and amen. You, you guys be blessed.